Hey everyone, welcome to the Fight to Thrive podcast. I'm Dr. Tyler Simmett. I'm a physical therapist and the captain in the U.S. Army. So this podcast is meant to serve as kind of your one-stop shop for tools to improve the physical, psychological, nutritional, emotional, and spiritual aspects of your life as I'm going to speak with experts throughout all of these fields. Now the show is called Fight to Thrive because you know this knowledge is great, but if you don't have the discipline to keep fighting every day to become a better version of yourself through this information, this podcast simply isn't going to help you. So keep fighting and let's take better care of ourselves so we can ultimately take better care of others. I do have to mention that the views expressed in this podcast are that of myself and my guests and do not reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, welcome everyone to uh, this week's episode of uh, Fight to Thrive. I got Captain Wheelis here, and Captain Wheelis is the current physical therapist for the uh, 2nd Ranger Battalion uh, here at Fort Lewis, and Thanks for joining us today. If you want to just kind of introduce yourself and a little bit about your background for us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, like you said, I'm currently the physical therapist for one of the Ranger Battalions. And before that, I was a Force Comm physical therapist at 2nd Brigade. And prior to that, I was at a hospital, Madigan here. And then before that, I was in school. So also from the hospital, I got to go to Kosovo as a physical therapist for a task force which was pretty interesting to see that part of the world. Um, yeah, other than that, I've been a like, pretty avid sort of like fitness competition kind of guy. Uh, not successful, uh, but at least have done some of the CrossFit Open type stuff, local competitions. So that's sort of my side fitness stuff that I do. And I was actually a intern under Captain Wheelis uh, when I was and had my internship year here for the Baylor Physical Therapy Program. So, kind of how we got linked up and, and learned a lot under him. So, appreciate that and and uh, being able to come out here too and spend some time with you. So, just kind of in general, one thing I want to talk about. So, you know this. H2F holistic health and fitness model that we've we're starting to implement, you know, throughout the rest of the army. That something like that has been going on here at the Ranger Battalion for years, and so just wanted to kind of get your your take on how important like working in within within that healthcare team dynamic is, and how how you kind of utilize different members of the team and and kind of the importance of that uh, you know, regarding patient outcomes. Yeah. So we have been doing a version of H2F here for a while. Uh, one of the things, like the longer I got into the Army, the more I realized that the Army, the conventional Army models itself off of Ranger Regiment a lot. And that's actually one of the purposes of Ranger Regiment I came to learn. So we are sort of an incubation of like good ideas and, and we have the ability to come up with new ideas, new strategies, uh, new ways to do things and then if they work for us the army generally follows them so the first example of that would be that rangers were the first ones to have a physical therapist organic to their unit just be even before h2f they're the first army unit to, to adopt a give up an officer slot a staff officer slot and take a physical therapist and then they saw benefit from that and the rest of the army has followed and then from there, the Army sort of grew, or the Ranger Regiment grew that team from a physical therapist, so they added strength coaches, dietitians, and 
uh, mental uh, performance coaches. We don't have one of those here yet, but uh, we have that within the regiment. And H2F is now trying to model that. So when I was at the second brigade, like they wanted that, but it's very hard to get the same results you get uh, with multiple providers and strength coaches, athletic trainers at a battalion level and then put one physical therapist at a brigade and ask for the same results uh, because I was, you know, drowning over there, not able to, to do things. So it worked out pretty well. The hospital did support with uh, one physical therapist. So I wasn't by myself totally at the end. Uh, they also had a, a PT uh, assistant that they helped me out with over there. So wasn't truly just me for a brigade, but it was close and, and that just patient to provider ratio doesn't work. So thankfully H2F is now moving more in the direction of what we've seen to work here where you have enough time to really spend with patients, work on injury prevention, which is very hard to measure, but you know it helps to have people move well and, and have the chance to talk to you about their issues before they become big issues. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been cool to see how the Army's implementing some of the things that Ranger Regiment does. The, the ACFT's sort of another example of that. Um, so we had what was called the RAW, the Ranger Athlete uh, Warrior Assessment. And um, if you look at it, the events are very similar. So we had three, three of max deadlift, which was copied. We had a different max, but uh, three rep max deadlift was copied. Then we did metronome push-ups. The ACFT has hand-release push-ups. We did heel claps, which was bit very similar to the leg tuck, except you kept your arms bent. You clap your heels over the bar. We did a broad jump, which tested power. Now that we test power with the ball toss, and then we had a 300-yard shuttle, which is very similar to, I mean, it tests the same thing that the sprint drag carry does. Mm -hmm. So we do a 300 yard shuttle, rest of it, do another 300 yard shuttle. And then the one thing that they didn't really take from us was we had the 5105 agility test in there. And I think you used to beat me on that <laughs> when I was practicing for it over at 2 2, because uh, you're a football player and I was not. But I, you know, I was practicing for that in the hopes of coming over here. I was tested on it in RAS, but uh, not. A test that we do anymore because the ACFT sort of sort of mimics it. Yeah, it's like the one thing I'm good at. They didn't bring in there. <laughs> I, can, I can move side to side, straight forward or running. I'm not that great at, but I can definitely move laterally. So just to kind of clarify, because um, some of that might be kind of confusing as far as like we're talking second brigade, second range of time, just for people that might not be totally familiar with with what the. Uh, you know, the structure looks like out here. So Calvin Willis was the physical therapist at 2nd Brigade, which is not uh, affiliated with the Ranger Regiment prior to coming to this job. And so what he's saying is like, it was just him out there with thousands of soldiers and, and being the only physical therapist. Now out here, what do you guys have like 250 or uh, how many soldiers out here? Yeah, we got a lot less soldiers here. Yeah. Like, uh, not exact numbers, but the, yeah. the ratio is way better of, of physical therapists to and it, same thing, like there I had a civilian physical therapist and myself. Here we have an athletic trainer civilian, and then a civilian physical therapist and myself. So um, definitely a much better ratio of, 
right. of providers. And then plus you got um, you got a dietitian out here. Yep. You have a, two, one or two strength coaches. Two strength coaches. Two strength coaches, and so like with the again talking ratio wise, not only do you have yourself and other physical therapists, now you have this whole other holistic quote unquote team here to kind of help out with that. And if you can just kind of speak to a little bit how you guys are able to work together within like this environment. Yeah, so for the dietitian side, we try to get everyone that, especially bone stress injuries, uh, you know, at Tutu, I would order vitamin D labs and talk to them about vitamin D and that was sort of the extent of the counseling. I'd. And so instead of doing that here, Anytime we got bone stress, I make sure they talk to our dietitian, and then also any pending surgeries, anything that seems like it would be, they're going to have a lot of healing going on, then we have them talk to the dietitian because he's got some supplements he recommends and, and things to make sure that their diet's good uh, when they, they're going to have a lot of healing taking place. That's the majority of the ones I make sure I take to the dietitian. There's a, a one-offs when there's there's red flags on like labs or, or things why I think they're not truly like a musculoskeletal issue that I, I would handle. And then also with the strength coaches, pretty much anyone that's gonna be sort of a long-term injury that we're dealing with, uh, usually the post-ops that really have a limited extremity, we make sure they talk to them and have a, a plan of what they're gonna work out while they're waiting uh, not really waiting while they're rehabbing, mm -hmm. but during the time that they're rehabbing, whatever body part is significantly limiting them, we want them to still train as hard as they can for the other body parts that they still can train. Gotcha. What about like for, do you have examples for like healthy soldiers, for example, with the strength coaches, are they doing like daily programming for like the healthy soldiers in the battalion? And if so, are they, do they need to follow that programming or are they kind of able to do their own thing? What does that look like? Yes, yeah, so they, they can do their own thing. Uh, I think sort of the model we kind of go off of more is that if, like, if we can't provide them a better product or convince them we're providing them a better product, then it's you know our fault. Mm. So if they want to follow a generic program that they can get on the web, then there's we're not going to stop them. Depending on their, their level, they may have other guidance from their team leader or their squad leader. Like they, they might be told what their workouts are from that leadership. But as far as the strength coaches go and uh, myself, we're not going to tell them they have to follow our program. Really, the deal is we, we want to convince them that we're offering them a program that's working towards their goals better than what they can find on their own. Mm -hmm. And that goes along with, you know, we try to program a little bit based on what's going on in their work life, which we know about, and the program they buy on the internet doesn't know about. So uh, also tailored to the equipment we have. So if we've got something cool or different than just your standard you know, barbell, dumbbells, kettlebell stuff, and the program you find online may not utilize that stuff, even though it's available to the rangers. Yeah. That Sounds like a pretty good deal. So what, what does that look like for you guys as far as being able to make sure that th this programming is known kind of throughout the battalion? So we, I mean, we do it on a, an app. We've got an app-based uh, distribution for it. And then, um, you know, we got multiple programs, so it's not just one program for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, we got more of a power-based, more of a strength-based, more of a metabolic conditioning sort of one. 
uh, more of a longevity one. So we kind of try to make it so multiple options are available, and then if one of those options doesn't meet the Rangers' you know desires, goals, plan, and they want help coming up with a different one, then the coaches will sit down with them. So there's definitely one-offs or reasons why someone might be trained for something specific and it would be a good time to talk to the coaches. The, uh, the, the preferred method also depends on the Rangers. So like some guys like a piece of paper printed out and give it to them. Some, some guys like the app. Some people want an Excel sheet that they can put numbers in on their computer. But it's, it's really the, the best program is the one guys follow. Right. I mean, that's that's that goes for every, a lot of things. The best diet's the one you actually do, not the one that gets you uh, the optimal results if you followed it. Right. So last time I was out here, you were saying that you started to try to incorporate some some yoga into programming or just classes that you're providing. It's kind of curious what kind of the rationale was behind that, and, and if you've had any benefits or if you've even started it yet. We did start, we had one class, okay. so we'll, we'll keep doing more. A lot of guys liked it, they, there was good turnout. Uh, we're doing once a week, so to me, the benefits are probably mostly mental. If you're only doing it once a week, it's probably not gonna change your, your mobility or flexibility significantly. It might point out to people what they're lacking in mobility and might motivate them to, to do it more, but I think having that time, and the instructor we had come over was really good. She volunteered to come over. She's a spouse of one of the first group guys, and she's also doing the yoga with the 16th cab as well. So she's great, and we really appreciate it. And I think she did a good job, too, of putting people at ease, you know, telling them if they need to check their phone, it's okay, because some guys can't just tune out forever. But as much as possible, having having some of the Rangers just relax and it's pretty generally pretty high tempo place yeah. and so having a chance to you know kind of meditate in a, in a way is pretty beneficial I think and then also movement that they don't normally do it it's pretty clear who has done yoga before and who hasn't when you start doing a little bit and I think there's I mean kind of one of the things I, I try to explain to patients and people it's like it's usually that thing that you don't do is the thing that would benefit you the most so if, if you run six days a week running an extra day is not going to help but maybe doing some you know barbell trains what's good the most beneficial thing if you lift weights five days a week and never stretch maybe doing yoga is what you need to do so i think that's probably the category most guys here fall into where the gap in what they're doing physically is probably some intentional stretching mobility yoga type work we've, we've got some that are really good about it but the majority are more focused on lifting and running and rucking and so giving them a chance to to calm down go slow go to some end ranges is pretty beneficial yeah, and depending on the style that you're doing, I think it, it can be a little bit underrated for the actual difficulty of it. Like it's some of the balance postures and stuff, like they're, those can be really good from a preventative side too because maybe, maybe guys that are just used to doing strength power work, they're not getting a lot of balance work in and you know, 
more likely to sprain an ankle or whatever it might be. Uh, it's definitely a good thing to add in for so many different reasons. I don't know if, if uh, you know, I got a yoga instructor certification, so if she ever bails, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be happy to come out All and right. teach a class. Well, we could have a different instructor every day come in. And <laughs> yeah. You could do, do one day and she could do the next. And yeah, I mean, I think balance is, especially after coming off of ankle injuries or, or knee injuries, I always make sure guys can single leg balance, single leg balance, eyes closed, because it's usually a deficit, at least the first couple months after that sort of injury. You, you lose those sensory organs in your tendon are a little, little thrown off. Bringing me PTSD flashbacks to neuroanatomy orals and yeah. all that. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, that's something that I, from the holistic side, like you've already hit on, so like the mental side, the mobility, the just giving yourself a mental break and, and these things I think can be really beneficial. And like for me, I'm, I told myself already I'm just going to do yoga tomorrow because I'm so freaking sore. I got back into heavy squatting yesterday and I haven't done it for a while. So I'm just like having trouble walking up the stairs to freaking get here. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's almost like a nice, like the way I to kind of program it is like a nice kind of midweek rest day essentially. Yeah. And, I, and then I pick it up after that. And you, you kind of mentioned it's high op tempo here and in the, you know, the training is it, not only physically, but like mentally more intense. And I remember when I was a student under you and you were training to go to ranger school and we're doing this freaking like curved treadmill sprints <laughs> and I was like puking and I had to take a break during reconditioning and like lie on the table because you were kicking my ass so like you were really motivated and gearing up hard for that and I was just kind of uh, curious as to like you know is this something that you know you've always wanted to go down this path to, to like get ready you know for the physical and mental challenges for ranger school, is this something that's, that's or, and then becoming the ranger physical therapist, or is this something that just kind of, an opportunity kind of presented itself, or how did it come about for you? Yeah, I, I went back and forth, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I was, I didn't direct commission to PT school, I was a ROTC cadet in college, and when I joined ROTC, I originally, plan you asked me a question where I'm gonna give you the long answer but so as a cadet I I planned my life plan was very different I planned to join the ROTC go do infantry for four years get out and be a firefighter that was my plan and so in that plan of being an infantry officer it included going to ranger school and, and doing this type of thing but as an infantry officer and Honestly, I wasn't a very good student when I started that plan, and ROTC told me my grades matter, and so I had to turn around my grades if I wanted to become an infantry officer. Mm -hmm. So I started getting pretty good grades because now I was motivated, and at the same time, working out and enjoying working out, had some knee pain, went and saw a physical therapist, found out about the physical therapy program, and sort of changed routes, and I was like, okay, now I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to become a physical therapist in the army and then three years of school I didn't have any opportunity to do army things along those lines I had to be a physical therapy student and I, I kind of had the bug planted by Colonel Goss when I had talked to him about his time in special operations and, and he of the special operations units that I could go to he recommended Rangers he thought that would be the better fit for me so that's 
got me back on the plan of like, okay, I can still go do those type of things. And then coming out of school, I asked to come to JBLM because Ranger Battalion was here, which worked out. So thankfully, uh, I got got assigned to Madigan here, and then I got to go to Force Com and wait for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But one of the, I always think about like one of the random tips I was sort of given or like, I think about this as life advice was like no one cares what you don't want to do but people might listen to what you do want to do mm-hmm. so like graduated school there's 14 different bases we could have gone to and some of them were pretty undesirable and so people kind of I don't know all my classmates but I think some people just organize it based on these were my last choices I don't want to go here versus I definitely felt that, but if I could say, I want to go to JBLM because I want to be a Ranger and the Rangers are there, it was a much more compelling reason than maybe some of my peers said, I want to go to JBLM because I don't want to go to this other place that's not as good. So uh, for whatever reason, um, I got the the spot here and and then that let me, you know, talk to my predecessor here and, and figure out what it would take to get here. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting from the lens of, as a physical therapist, a lot of the physical requirements that you're required to do out here may not be like operationally necessary, right? Like, and I think that that's the, the case for the, with the ACFT, especially for a lot of people in my engineering unit, maybe a lot of those people, they don't need to do everything um, that's required of them on the ACFT to be like a functionally good at their specific job. And so, however, like with, with being able to experience your, some of your train up for Ranger School, and I mean, I did a small percentage of that that you were doing and I was having trouble. Um, and, and being able to just like focus on my own physical training and pushing myself, I'm not like trying to train to be a professional athlete. That's not going to do me much good for my job, but I am in the best shape of my life, which isn't as good as you, but it's still, I'm, I'm, I'm improving every day. And what I'm getting at is when I continually push myself each day in my workouts, it, it not only pushes me physically, but I break through like those mental barriers. And so now when I want to, you know, put in that extra hour of work in the day at, at work, not physical work, but, you know, like mental work or team, you know, working with the team or whatever it is, I'm able to push through that mental barrier because I'm, I'm used to doing it on the physical side as well. Um, can you speak to like how that has, you know, shown its its way in your life or with your training and, and going through ranger school and some of those like hurdles you've had to overcome yeah i mean well so i would like first off say i I think fit individuals make better soldiers regardless of their job so most jobs can be done without being highly physically fit but you probably can do that job better if you're physically fit Uh, one just sort of like example that rings in my mind when like i kind of think about like like does a medic need to be able to lift 300 pounds or whatever um, so with 2-2, we would go to NTC and the, a big part of NTC is the role to the, the medical sort of hospital that we can set up has to like constantly jump to follow the troops that are, are moving. And that is tearing down and setting up small buildings and tents. And it's 
physically demanding, like it's heavy stuff. So even if you're the x-ray tech, being strong doesn't make you better at taking x-rays, but it makes you more useful to your unit when the building's gotta be taken apart, it's gotta be loaded up on the back of a big truck and then taken off the truck and set up again. So I think most jobs in the army, especially in force comm, like there's, you're gonna benefit your unit if you're more physically fit. Even if it's not the specific job you're doing, you're gonna be able to help out more. So in that sense, I think the, the ACFT is beneficial to incorporate more broad fitness than what the old APFT did with push-up sit-ups um, two miles. Mm-hmm. And then kind of getting back to your question a little bit about like my train-up and, and ranger school, the first thing I, I mean, you don't have to be, ranger school is not about being the most physically fit person or soldier, airman, because I airman, marine, they, they all go, they can all go to ranger school. But it's not about being the most physically fit person there. You need, there are requirements that you have to meet physically. And then beyond that, I think it's more about one, like being a good team player, two, like being conditioned to, to sort of suck for a long time. So, so physical fitness and training physical fitness definitely helps with that mental, like, I mean, you've probably heard the studies of if you, you train increases your pain threshold, right? So if so you take someone who doesn't work out and you put their hand in ice water and tell them to hold it as long as possible, they take their hand out sooner than someone if they train. And it's, it's trainable, right? So you can take the untrained person, see how long they can put their hand in ice water, put them on a workout program for a while, and then retest them and they can hold their hand in the ice water for longer. So it, it does build up just your tolerance to, to pain. So, so like mental toughness is clearly being trained. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for ranger school, you you know you need to run a, a five mile in under forty minutes when you're not super well rested and you're not feeling great. You now they're doing the T push ups and the leg tucks. So if the minimum's thirty and five, I'd say hit ten to twenty percent above that when you're training for it as a minimum. And then I think going in with well conditioned feet and and being used to having a load on the back is the best way to prepare and also knowing some of the as much as you can the, the things you'll be tested on so some of the tactics would be nice to know ahead of time but the big thing is the uh, how to like set up a claymore take apart a machine gun that, that's stuff that you're tested on the first week and if you fail it you're just kicked out mm-hmm. but i think yeah that, that would sort of be my my answer on prepping for yeah. it um and so for, so you went to the rasp first correct? yeah and that's a shorter but more yeah. intense kind of selection process. Yeah. So, uh, not to so like kind of tweak what you were saying. Like when you you were training with me. Yeah. I was actually training for RASP, not for Ranger School. Got it. And so, I mean, if Ranger School is one where you have to meet a standard and then endure a lot of suck, RASP. And, and just for those listening, and, and so you have an understanding of, of our selection uh, for Ranger Battalion, there's two RAS, RAS 1 and RAS 2. RAS 1's for E6 and uh, below, and RAS 2 is, or sorry, RAS 1 is for below E6, so E5 and below, and RAS 2 is for E6 and above. And so RAS 2 is uh, less about meeting the standard, and, and it really is about excelling. It, it, so like that is where I felt like I had to be like at 
my best physical shape because you're being evaluated and even if you meet all the standards you're still not necessarily selected um definitely had people that met the standards all the way to the end but you could tell that they weren't on the same level as guys in the class so you know they had maybe a 39 minute five mile even though they met the standard and they they weren't ended up being selected so there there's definitely a difference there between ranger school and rasp of, of what it takes and we rasp isn't as miserable as ranger school but it's definitely it's harder in a different way right like the stakes felt higher in a sense of like is a 35 minute five mile enough i don't know so I, I i really wanted to be at my most fit when so I'm there's there. the five mile run there's a ruck component right Yep, so I mean, the, a lot of the standards are the same. Okay. So if you look at Ranger School standards and Ranger Regiment standards, there you know, we use the 12 mile, the 5 mile, we used to use the RAW, now we're using the ACFT, and then we have the RPAT, which is the, which I, you've done. Yeah. Uh, so 3 mile run where you, you're wearing kit, but you stop at the 2 mile mark and do some obstacles, rope climb, ladder climb, sled drag. That's not part of Ranger School, that's specific to, to Ranger Regiment. But yeah, so the, the standards are the same and the minimums are the same of you know three mile, three hour, 12 mile. But like I said, if you go to, I don't, I don't know what the criteria would be for someone going to RASP. I personally would not want to show up to RASP too and do a 259, 12 mile, so. Don't you have to like sit in front of a board too or something? Yes, yeah, so the board evaluates you at the end of it and uh, asks you questions about how you performed and if they saw something they didn't like, they'll probably let you know. And so that's a couple weeks or how long total is it's, that? It's three weeks for rest. Three yeah. weeks and then you came back and went into your normal job at yep. second brigade, 2-2 brigade, and then later on down the line went down back down to Georgia Ranger School for a few months, right? Yeah, so I did pre-Ranger, which was three weeks, I believe, and then rolled into Ranger School, which I was fortunate enough to do straight through. So that's 62 days. If you go straight through, I had a break because of winter, like I was the, the winter class. Well, there's multiple winter classes. I was the winter class that got a break for Christmas between Mountain Phase and Florida. So I came home for three weeks and then went to Florida and finished up. So that, it, it took about three months total with pre-ranger and ranger school. And then I had to go back for airborne because airborne is also a requirement to be in regiment. So that was also down in Benning. Mm -hmm. That's why I spent almost four months there straight. Yeah, but long, long ways away from here, away from your wife and everything. Was it? Was it? Has it been worth the, the sacrifice? Absolutely. So, I mean, as you now have been in a force comm unit, you know the the challenges there, and and like I said, Ranger Regiment sort of like we try to be the ideal, and I think in a lot of ways we are. So, patient population here is the best one I've worked with. Guys are are motivated to get better, they want to get better, they, they already train hard themselves so they're, they're easier to work with than people that don't work out and not to say that 
not a lot of my patients didn't work out at the past unit, but I definitely had some more challenging patients there that didn't seem as motivated. So it's it's just it is what it is, but that's what you deal with as a physical therapist. So if, if I had to pick a place for a physical therapist to be, I think this is sort of the promised land yeah. of you know pretty much all patients that you want to work with, and uh, the other side of it too is we've got the the like the equipment that we need, which I know you're struggling with now as you're you're setting up a new thing, which is its own sort of cool project. Um, I didn't actually have to deal with that too, too, because the my predecessor there had actually built a really good facility, but I could I could see how some of that is uh, a long process when when you're dealing with a budget for next year that you got to make the purchases and it could be hard. Yeah, for the listeners, I've been just pretty much just begging for Ian's hand me downs here, but I'll take what I can get. I'd imagine you've probably like throughout this whole process like developed some good relationships too and been able to connect with some some other soldiers. Definitely. Yeah, I mean unfortunately COVID makes doing things with other people always a an extra thought. You at least have something else on your mind when you're we're trying to make plans with people, but yeah, there's a lot of writers here I like to work out with or uh, go shoot with, so it's been been pretty fun to be here. I think a lot of uh, you get a lot of like-minded people once you you come to a place like this. Yeah, yeah, kind of a common theme that I've heard with a few of the answers is like, you know, kind of set the tone for the rest of the army. And that's a pretty cool place to be. That's got to be like a pretty fun culture to be a part of. This isn't like a recruitment podcast for the Ranger Regiment, but I think it's cool for soldiers to know what what's out there and what kind of the requirements are. You take us through like what a what a sample day might look like at Ranger School. At Ranger School, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and so Ranger School is funny because it's so miserable while you're doing it, but you're also so sleep deprived that it's hard to make long term memories. So all you remember is being miserable, but you don't necessarily remember why. That it quickly goes away when you you leave. Um, that's a good plug for sleep. Yeah, <laughs> sleep is definitely key. Um, so Ranger School, for those that are interested, I, I mean, if you probably know this already, but there's three phases. There's Darby phase, Mountain phase, Florida phase. Each phase, you have a, a training period and then your FTX period. And the FTX period, like field training exercises, different length based on which phase it is so it's i think two three-day ftx's in darby two five-day ftx's in mountains and a 10-day one in florida when you're in the field for the ftx i couldn't tell you how much sleep you you're supposed to get somewhere on the order of two to four hours and then when you wake up you're told where, where are you sleeping at on the ground <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, on the ground. Um, I went in the winter, uh, which I don't necessarily recommend because you're very cold and makes sleep less pleasant. Um, but yes, yeah, so you you wake up. I it's actually very weird for me. I'm like trying to remember, and it's funny how little I remember. But 
you wake up and you get told who's in leadership for the morning and then you have a few hours of preparing for your mission if you're in leadership and then you're briefing your mission to everyone you step off and you leave you usually have, take some type of contact and then that's the end of those people's evaluation and then new leadership comes in they finish the mission then you usually get told where you're going to sleep that night which is I don't know probably not that far away but feels like really far away and you walk for a while um, I mean not not to reminisce and talk about like how like the, the few things I remember right like because really long term memories do not get formed with sleep deprivation but I'll, I'll, I'll probably remember this one for a long time was falling asleep while walking <laughs> and uh we're like on a road walking, um, asleep walking, following the guy in front of me, and he like walked through this little creek that was going across the road. And if I was awake, it would have been really easy to step over it. If I walked straight, I was just falling, I walked straight through, and then like my feet getting wet is what woke me up. And I woke up really pissed because then I had wet feet and socks for like the rest of the night. Um, yeah, that, so, was, that was bad timing. Yeah, it, it was so bad at myself too because I'm like, ju- I think they just let us change socks to like dry socks or something, and then I had wet socks again for the rest of the night. Well, sounds like sounds like a good time. Yeah, it's I the mean, most miserable I've ever been in my life for <laughs> any consecutive number of days. But it, like I said, the you know pain is temporary and. You don't really remember it when it's over so um, it's it's definitely a challenge that changes your perspective on things when you're done yeah and it's one thing like you can't you can't just like learn these lessons like in a classroom like that whole idea of pain is temporary you, you know just you have to be able to undergo that pain in, in whatever form that is and that's why you know you could be not even the military listening to this, but if you have some form of of daily pain, and it doesn't necessarily need to be physical, but like a way to push yourself through adversity, I think is like a big, it's a big theme of this podcast and wanting to like maintain the our army core value of discipline. Um, you know, it, it's something that you have to do if you want to continue to see progress. And I think that this this type of atmosphere is a perfect example of that and how you were able to kind of push through these things and I've I firsthand experienced the pain of of you training for it and of, of the train up and I know that it's that it's no joke and I'm used to working out hard and that was at another level and so I, I appreciate the exposure to all that and so there therefore down the line now you're now you're here awesome job you got through it you, you have a new baby pretty uh pretty good stuff and so just kind of you know now that you're back in in back at home and, and you have the newborn and you have you know kind of a I would assume somewhat of a high demanding job here like how's it been going trying to balance everything like the work work uh, home aspect so I will say I have a new respect for everyone who's ever had a kid <laughs> it's amazing how hard it is to have empathy for that until you've done it yourself and like 
I I have a very easy situation, honestly, and so I I, I can't complain at all. My, my mother in law has been staying with us since before the the kid was born, and uh, she has been a lifesaver for my wife and I. So once my uh, my wife went back to work, I don't know what we would have eaten or done <laughs> if my mother in law wasn't staying with us. So in that sense, like it's been hard but as easy as it probably could be mm-hmm. uh, it's I mean we just talked about Raider school for a bit but it's funny how I mean the Raider school is the most miserable thing I've done in my life but having a newborn tests that sometimes like it it, it, it really like sleep deprivation crushes you no matter where you're at and it, you know definitely was more comfortable that I was at Ranger School sleep deprived, but still miserable. Um, and it you know, went on for longer because the sleep deprivation didn't stop at two months, it stopped sort of at the four month mark mm-hmm. or something, which again, like I said, we're, we're lucky because not everyone's babies start sleeping through the night at the time ours did. So it, it's hard. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer of how to make it easier. <laughs> other than you get through it. And I, I do think it helped me to be like, I've kind of done this before. Um, my physical fitness wasn't going to be as good. And I just had to sort of like accept like, hey, maybe I, when there's a night I don't sleep, like I don't get up at 4.30 to work out. I sleep to 5.30 this night and, you know, go to work instead of start my day with a workout, which Sometimes that's hard because that's what I'm used to and what I want to do, but knowing that sleep's probably the better priority is is good. Um, otherwise, balancing it, I think uh, I think it's good to try to take the time. Like I'm not good at this, but I definitely have moments where I'm like, you know, the kids doing something, crawling around, standing up. What's uh, his name? Warren. So if he's off, you know, if he's on the living room floor doing something, it's kind of realize how much time you, you know, spend on your phone. Um, so I'm trying. <laughs> My wife probably wouldn't say I'm trying hard enough, but I think we're all kind of guilty of that these days of like, hey, like, if I've only got a few hours to hang out and relax at home, maybe it'll be more beneficial if I relax without my phone and, and actually like, you know rough house with him or, or do anything. Yeah, um, so. for sure. At least you, you timed all the sleep deprivation pretty well. It's not around any of the big exams or anything you have to take. You already got the OCS out of the way and MPT, all that stuff's in the rear view. So. I just retook the GRE. Okay. Uh, so that, but I wasn't sleep for five when I did it, so <laughs> nice. that, that helped. But yeah. took it at home, which was an interesting challenge because yeah. uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. My test like randomly quit in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. I'm standing there like shouting at my computer like hello. It's <laughs> probably one of like the least favorite standardized tests I've ever taken. So long and boring and kind of irrelevant to what we're actually doing. But we're kind of getting off topic here. But I don't know. I think that in in general, what I what the, again the theme of what I'm getting at with all this is that. Life, life's tough, right? Yeah. Like the more the more resilient we can be by 
exposing ourselves to shitty situations, the more we're going to be prepared for something like a like a newborn. And I got I got the new puppy, and like I was thinking of the sleep deprivation and the in the getting one to play with him when you get home, so sitting on your phone. All these things are are good for you to go through, and like they develop character. But unless you're like are molding that character to prepare yourself for those events, then it's not gonna you're not gonna be well prepared, and maybe not do it, be as effective. And, Maybe not all of us have a have a mobile mother-in-law, but we'll start working on that. <laughs> yeah, that that's the key. Yeah. Um, so kind of switching gears, I, I saw on Instagram that you were able to to get a six hundred on the ACFT, which I know all the soldiers out there probably or a lot of them are jealous of, and you know I I'm not there yet. So just kind of curious if if you were kind of there right off the bat because you're ranger training or it's something you had to kind of work towards for a while and what that kind of looked like for you? Yeah, so I definitely had to work towards it. Uh, I mean, like this is a very fit unit and I think a lot of people will plan on maxing that test. Currently about 3% of the rangers that take the test max it. So it's, it's doable, I'm not it's unique and I'm not, it's not like I'm the first guy to max it or anything. So uh, I'm actually far from the first guy to max it. So this was our, our second iteration of taking the ACFT. And I did not max on the first iteration, whereas we had still about 3% of the guys do it back then. So some, some of them knew about the events in advance and trained for it. And some of them were just able to max it without training for it. Um, for me, the for me and a lot of the rangers that are very close to max it and aren't max it, it, it really comes down to the ball toss or the push-up. So if you're tall, you usually are pat maxing the ball toss and not the push-ups. And if you're short, you're usually maxing the push-ups and not the ball toss. And that's not to say you can't max both for either height, but that's sort of been the default if the if you're not trained for the event specifically and you're close, those are the reasons why the, the Raiders here are, are close or missing it. Um, I'm sure with more iterations, the Rangers will start maxing it at a higher percentage just because they, especially the ball toss is pretty technical. Uh, for me specifically, I'm 6'3", and the ball toss, I got sort of like the catapult arms, but that comes back to bite me on the push-up. So mm. my first time taking it, I maxed everything but the push-ups, and I was pretty, I mean, I was 11 push-ups off, which sounds close, but like when you're at failure on those push-ups at the end of two minutes, it it really sucks. So Those freaking burn, man. Yeah, it, it's like hitting a one rep max bench press repeatedly when you're in your last sort of 30 seconds. But I mean, whether it's my competitiveness or ego or whatever, I, I really like, I set that as a goal and I want I wanted to max it. So I trained for it. And um, the first thing I did was just a lot of volume of the pushups. And then once I had the volume, like I, do a few hundred a week basically it's not not wasn't crazy but kind of broken up throughout the week or yeah like so basically two days a week they were somewhere in my training uh and i have a coach that i talked to about my programming and my goals so sorry it keeps going off uh, the so we talked about it and had the goal and put it in basically as a finisher one day a week and then it'd be sort of like mixed in 
like a Metcon another day of the week. Mm -hmm. And I got the volume there. And then as it got closer, I, I worked on the speed of them. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do 60 in two minutes, you have to keep a two second pace or average a two second pace. So I worked on doing 30 in a uh, minute, in under a minute. Mm -hmm. So I'd sprint 30 and see how fast I could do that. I'd sprint 40. Or I'd sprint 40, take a rest, sprint 30, take a rest. And always trying to hit that average of or stayed under the two second average for the sets. Uh, that's how I worked up. So in your train up, did you ever do like the full two minutes and see where you're at? You just I did. I mean, I knew where I was at for. I, I think the biggest set I did in the train up was forty, mm -hmm. and doing that in under a minute twenty, and that like, and I knew I was tired at the end of that, but I also I was well under the minute twenty, so I was mm -hmm. kind of. A little bit of buffer room um, to have know the last 40 seconds would suck mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it it's a good test I, I think people will train at least I'm guilty of training to the test and you and you'll get it on either end you'll get people that are struggling to pass it they have they'll have to train to the test to pass and then you'll have the people that want to max something and they'll train to the test and if we're if we create a more broad test, it will make people have to trade more broadly. Right. So in that sense, I think it's it's good. Um, yeah, because those push-ups have been there in all of our fitness testing, you know, for a long for decades. But now at least we have that pull component of the leg tuck, and so you know we're getting that balance, and we're maybe you know hopefully potentially down the line maybe seeing a little less anterior shoulder pain because you know people yeah. have a little bit better you know balance. You know, and, and not even that, like they're making you do a, a narrow push-up, which mm -hmm. doesn't feel good for some people, but for me, the like a lot of people that have some shoulder pain with push-ups, I put them in that position anyway, so mm -hmm. and for a lot of them it feels better. So it's a new training, but I think it, it is forcing sort of better movement, and also it's lower rep. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you do high rep, wide arm push-ups and you do like sets of 80 it's just a lot more reps on the body than if you do a set of 40 to failure like you just did half the, the stuff plus you gotta take the break with the arms out so right. i think it'll be interesting if there's an injury prevention component generally i mean in the army the biggest predictor of if someone's going to get injured is physical fitness if, if slow run times predict injury better than a lot of other things we do. Mm. Um, so if we have a test that encourages more physical fitness, hopefully we reduce injuries and then we add on that we have specific ways we want them to move that theoretically are better on the shoulders and um, we, we may reduce injuries, we may not, I don't, I, uh, who knows. Yeah, I think it, you know, partially depends on how this whole HF model is implemented and, and how it works out. If we're having the right professionals in there that are going to be able to coach people appropriately and, and train up and periodize well, kind of like you've been talking about with your push-ups. So were you, after that first test, did you, you maxed everything except for the push-ups? Yeah. Gotcha. So you were pretty well squared away. Yeah. So, yeah. I, the... I, I did not too long after ranger school, which is my like lame excuse as to why I didn't max. But I really would have maxed those push-ups either way. I, I might have 
I might have got 55 instead of 49, but I, I wasn't going to max it even if I was recovered more. Yeah. Um, but I was 59 when I took it. That's painful. Yeah, max is 60. So I was a little upset, even though it's not really, it doesn't really matter yet. It's not for record test yet, but it was still kind of annoying because, like you said, when you get in those last 30 seconds, it's a very painful experience to keep pumping those out. And so, I, and with the, the previous test, it wasn't this narrow grip hand release push up, it was a wider grip. And I'm like all boobs, like I'm all peck. And so, I, like, I could bust those out, like, I was doing well over 100. And now that it's more like tricep narrow grip focus it's i need to work on it a lot so i think that's a good idea to like incorporate into like metcons and like we're doing like you said like sets of 20 to 40 or yeah and a set of 20 if you do you'll get that same feeling that you got at the end of two minutes the first set of 20 will be fine and then by the third and fifth set of 20 you it just feels like you can't lift your body off the ground so it's it's different too because it'll change your metcon, right? So like if, if you have a workout that's planned that you know you're doing thrusters and push-ups or whatever's paired with that push-ups, with you have a movement that you're going to hit failure differently, your it changes the intensity of your workout. So you, you might need a if you look, just looked at a normal workout that had you know thirty pu- a sets of thirty push-ups for rounds you might not want to still do 30 push-ups. You might want to do 20 push-ups because if you were really f- hitting failure on push-ups that you wouldn't be normally, it's a different workout. But um, yeah, it's, I, I did it in, in, in the Metcon once a week and I did it not for time, just to like get volume as like a finisher, um, you know, five sets of 30 mixed with some other movement where I was resting a ton between um, are you still are you still rucking at all? Not as much as I should be. Um, it's still important. Um, honestly, my running and rucking is one of the things that went away the most when I had a kid because I'm very fortunate in my ability to still train because I one like I know a lot of people got hardships getting access to gym equipment these days with COVID. I already had a pretty decked out garage gym, and then I also run the the battalion, you know, training facility. So I am lucky in that sense. But when I had the kid, it was easy to go out into the garage and do a workout and have the baby monitor, or my wife can call me and have me come in to help with something. But if I go out on a run or ruck, I'm 30 minutes away. If I get a call saying like, wait, we need to do something with the baby or the baby's up, I need you to feed him. Uh, so it, it, that's something I'm not near where I want to be or I wish I was. It's just something I've had to accept that I've rucked and ran less than I was prior because it's harder to fit in in the day. Yeah. Um, now... Used to, I used to be able to do double days on the weekends pretty easily, and now I, I try to only work out once on the, the weekends. Um, Getting lazy, man. I know, I'm lazy. Weak sauce. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, maybe this will be the, the, the kick I need to start <laughs> running more, but it's it's been hard. Um, I can still run a 1330, but it's yeah. a little bit more painful than it was. And, you know, I back when you, I mean, I feel like I, I like tricked you into like thinking I'm fitter than I was by 
make you do those one-way sprints. Like, if anyone hasn't ran sprints on a curved treadmill, they are horrendous. And it was something I was doing weekly and had, like, built up to doing, I like, six rounds or eight rounds of basically a quarter mile on them. And Tyler comes in, like, the first week with me, and I'm like, you want to do this? And he, uh, he went faster than me on the first one, <laughs> which I was like, either he's fitter than me or he made a mistake. It didn't last very <laughs> And then long. he went the same pace as me, and then yeah. it, it sort of slowed down. So, yeah, I mean... You, I would be crushed right now if I tried to run like I used to. Yeah, that was a fun time. It was like the middle of winter, and we got there at like 5 a.m., wasn't it? It was something you... Yeah, I, I usually would work out 5.30 or 6.30, and yeah. that's still my preferred time. Just I, if, I, if I don't get it done, yeah. like if I check my email and then talk, it's always like a, a pain to like, you know, I've got to pull myself away from this and start versus if I just first thing... That was like, yeah, during that time, it was like not because not only would I, would I have that, but then you have like other student re- requirements or whatever. And so it was like, if I wasn't talking H2F, if I wasn't eating well, if I wasn't sleeping, like that's when I really started like prioritizing the, not when I started, but like at that point I, I realized that I, if I wanted to perform at this kind of level, you know, eventually that I, I have to really prioritize these things. and. So that was kind of a good experience for me. So when you when you're going through your ACFT prep, um, like in that week or so prior to the actual event, are you like deloading at all, or are you pretty much training up full full bore until the event? Um, I mean, for me, I I did a little bit less push ups the the week beforehand, less volume. I still did. I like I really focused on sprinting a few sets. So I deloaded the push-ups, but overall workouts, I did it, and then I just did it the day out. Like, I have two easier days of the week, mm. and so Monday and Friday are my easier days, so I think I took the, chose to take, like I was able to take the test on Tuesday. Um, so I was after, I was pretty recovered, hadn't done a lot of push-ups, or hadn't done any push-ups to failure or anything. Um, you know, for, Everyone's going to be different based on where they're at and their goals and, and what they're trying to do. If um, if it's more of a struggle like to max some of the other events, then maybe more of a deloads kind of is key. And um, I think the um, I mean we don't have a lot of guys here. I haven't talked to anyone that's struggled past the leg tug, but I think it's worth mentioning. This will be like the last thing on the podcast if anyone listens to it. But, you know, it was bared in the end, my advice that, that people might want. But the leg tuck's obviously been the one that most people fail. Mm-hmm. And so if I had to give advice on that, the first thing would be, again, building volume. And I kind of think of it like doing a pull-up. So a lot of people struggle to learn to do a pull-up or build the strength to do a pull-up because it's one of those things where like you either can do it or you can't mm-hmm. do it. And if you can't do it, how do you build volume? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people use the bands, which change the, the weight at different parts of the pull-up. So my personal advice would be to start with um, holds and negatives. So like mm. chin over the bar or a jumping pull-up where you do a, a slow like descent. And 
if someone's struggling to pass that event, I mean, the first thing is, I would say, get access to a pull-up bar that's in their home, like red, that they pass right there, like a doorway pull-up bar in their barracks, whatever it is so that they can practice that thing regularly. And then a few times a day, do a jumping pull-up, hold five, 10 seconds, do a five, 10 second negative and go on about your day. And then do that regularly until you can hold it for 30 seconds, chin over the bar, and then start working on like a slower descent so you can do one, then you do one regular throughout the day. Doesn't take a lot of time. Actually, like uh, Joe Shimano kind of talked about in, in his podcast with you where he does three pull-ups going through dropping his kids off. I use it, like I did that as a kid. I had a pull-up bar in my doorway. I'd do five pull-ups every time I went through the door. Mm. And I don't know if that's why or what, <laughs> but like pull-ups are something I'm weirdly good at for a, a tall guy. And so I, th- there, I, I really do think there's something that that building that volume, not necessarily all at once in a day in a workout, just like over a week. Um, and so if anyone wanted my two cents on passing the, that event, then, then that's how I'd go about it. You already have a pull-up bar mounted in your son's doorway, don't you? <laughs> no, because no, the flip side of that is the pull-up bar I had mounted in my door I've come from a tall family. <laughs> my dad would hit his head on it. <laughs> like he'd say goodnight to me and I'd hear this dunk ah as he'd leave the room and eventually it's like, that thing's gotta go. But <laughs> yeah, the uh, I am looking to get a pull-up, like a kid's pull-up bar attachment for my squat rack, but he, he's gotta get a little older, but uh, I do I do want to be able to do pull-ups. Maybe at least one <laughs> yeah. going on that. Walks, walking probably <laughs> comes before a pull-up. Walking or and or push-ups. Yeah. When uh, when you were going through some of that, I was like thinking back to w- when I was w- with you at um, at the brigade. I took like a block of leave for the um, waste management golf tournament in Phoenix, which is like a it's a the, the, the only tournament in golf that turns into like a, a party and my buddy, my buddies and I were going on there just to like kind of have a good time but it was like like thinking back to this H2F model that was like the, one of the first times I was like with them and I was like you know what I'm not gonna like stay up all night with you guys I'm not gonna go out to the club or, or keep drinking all night and like they were kind of pissed off about it but I was like like I like I was saying, this is when kind of that light bulb went off a little bit as far as like, hey, if I, if on Monday, if I want to show up and, and give the best effort I can to the patients I'm going to see or to this workout I'm going to do, like I, I'm, I'm going to be paying for something I do, even if it's a few days before that. And so it's like maintain, developing that consistency and maintaining that is something that I, that I learned from you when I was out there because I could tell this is something that you, you don't really give yourself um, – leeway on like you're very you're very like strict and consistent like like I, the, the whole idea of the five pull-ups every time you go to the door like I can totally see that because that's just like your personality and it sounds like that's something you've been developing over over a long time so it's good stuff but it always could be better but yeah I mean I, that's cool here you you, you you attribute that to me I appreciate that and, um, yeah I, I went through that at some point in my life too where I you know Whatever it is that makes your mindset change, it's amazing how much mindset, like your your personal beliefs of what's important matter. And like, I mean, ROTC, like I, we talked earlier in the podcast, right? Like, 
I thought I was going to join the army for four years and then go be a firefighter. And I was in college, I was, I was working part-time as a firefighter too, and I thought that mattered more to me and my life than my grades in school did. And then when ROTC said, hey, you can't accomplish your, your goals without good grades, all of a sudden I went from a C student to an A student mm-hmm. because I thought it was important and like put the effort in. And I, you know, I had a similar thing at some point in college as you just talked about where like I was at call, like I thought, you know, what I wanted to do was have, you know, sort of hedonistic and like party and have fun. And, um, you know, I wanted to be fit, but it wasn't like my top priority. Mm-hmm. And then when fitness became a higher priority, it was like, well, sleep and not drinking alcohol and eating well all sort of was like, well, if I really want to be fit, I can't do these things. So, um, yeah, what, what you value will change what you do and, and really like yeah. it can turn things around. Like if, I mean, I wouldn't have had these opportunities that I've had in life if ROTC hadn't said grades matter, yeah. which is, is crazy to me. Like I, I was kind of slacking off and, mm-hmm. but I also didn't necessarily believe I could be an A student at the time. Right. Like, yeah. So. And sometimes it's just being like mindful and conscious, like in, in conscious of these things because they're, most of the time, you know, you're drinking, like drinking can be a social lubricant and can help you to have a good time with your friends or whatever. And I'm not opposed like hundred percent to like no drinking at all. But you know, if it's, if it's 10, 11, 12 at night and you're already three beers deep, like, like just note when you go for that fourth or that sixth drink or beer, it usually doesn't make you feel better at that <laughs> point. You're already, you know, at a good enough point in, in like, just like, but like, that's what everyone else is doing is like still drinking. So like, the, that's the tendency to go for another drink instead of like a water. Next time, maybe go for a water and just notice, hey, like I'm actually still feel like just as good. And unless, you know, that can, that conversation can go to a whole nother place and like other issues that you're trying to, to drown or whatever. But, and, and even if that's the case, then that's not a healthy or effective option yeah. to do, do that either. But yeah, it's just, it's just being mindful. Like just because everyone else is doing it or it's like the, the party mindset that you were, you know, you went through in college or high school or whatever, that doesn't mean like you can't break those habits and just be conscious. Hey, like I don't feel any better do, acting like this and doing this every Friday night or, or every Thursday through Sunday, or whatever it might be. But so, uh, yeah, last kind of topic. Are you okay on time? Yeah. Uh, cool. oh, yeah. I got all the time. <laughs> um, I'm just worried about your puppy. I saw your Instagram playing with your, your puppy the other yeah. night. I'm like, man, I'm going to feel bad if I keep him laying and your, your dog's waiting for you at home. He's at dog daycare right now. Oh, so nice. he's, he's loving life. The only thing that he's going to start getting pissed off about is like not getting dinner on time. <laughs> he'll, he'll be fine. He's not in sort of starvation mode yet. Um, uh, so like, you know, we're talking a lot of like high intensity training type stuff, like activating like sympathetic nervous system where you're, you know, you're getting the heart rate up and, and you want to get blood pumped with the extremities and all these things. But, you know, on the flip side of the coin, so we have our autonomic, autonomic nervous system. We have our sympathetic, which is what I just talked about. And then we have our parasympathetic nervous system, which is kind of our more rest and digest and where, uh, you know, it, our breathing rate slows down, our heart rate slows down and, and we're able to think more clearly and stay calm and focused. And so that's something that can be very valuable in something like marksmanship where you've 
excelled in as well and, and it's just kind of interesting because it's kind of two two sides of the, the extremes and it's it's cool that you're able to to ex- and, and, and I don't think that they're necessarily opposed to each other I think they might actually complement each other but um, just kind of curious if you have any because it can be hard I, I would assume especially when you get into shooting competitions to not get that sympathetic active and get the heart racing and getting nervous in these things and, and what kind of uh, strategies that you you might implement to help stay calm and stay relaxed and stay but stay focused and and because you've improved your performance yeah. there over time as well and so curious your thoughts on that yeah so i mean i i think this the same reason why i haven't been as success, successful as i'd like to be yet but you know i've i have achieved some of my shooting goals um so my top two goals for shooting pistol or to get presence hundred and to become a distinguished pistol shot, um, which is they both are competitive awards essentially. And I have got a distinguished pistol shot. I missed out on presence hundred by a small margin to like twenty nineteen, and they didn't do it in twenty twenty. So hopefully twenty twenty one will be the year. We'll see. Um, so I mean the the core basis of like how I've improved is the same reason why you know, I'm fit and that's just basically do it almost every day. Uh, so I, before we had Warren, I would do 50 dry fire shots a night. And after we had Warren, I didn't do any for a while and now I'm back to 20 a night. So that's, it's somewhere around, you know, 10 minutes of practice a night, uh, which adds up over time. Uh, so that's the similarity there. Answering your question on how to be in that, like, the right zone and, and not get too amped up. Uh, I'm going to take a detour here and talk about cockroaches. Because for whatever reason, I, so I took exercise physiology in um, undergrad. And so some of that included sports psych. And I've always remembered this. And I actually looked this up recently to make sure it's, like, actually a true fact. But... Performance anxiety basically extends to cockroaches was the, the moral of this like part of the lecture. Have you ever heard this before? No. Okay. So what the experiment is, so cockroaches don't like light, right? So if you put them in a really open area with one exit and you shine a light on them, they're going to leave without that exit. If you put a crowd of cockroaches around them, so if they have cockroaches watching them and shine a light on them in an open area, they will find that exit and leave faster, right? So basically they're more amped up. Now if you put them in a maze that is hard to solve and then do the same thing, you, you time them on how fast they can get out of the maze when you shine the light on them and then time them when you got a crowd around them, they actually, their performance decreases when the crowd's around in the maze. And so this is the same thing that happens for humans, right? Mm. On a well-practiced task or something that's easy, getting more amped up by pressure, whether or not that social pressure of people watching, or, or for me, like with shooting, it's not that people are watching me while I'm doing it, it's that I care so much about the results. Mm. So if it's a skill that's easy or simple, like running, straight line, like go as fast as you can, if you say, hey, there's a whole crowd watching you, if you put people in a stadium, they're gonna run faster, right? Versus they run on the track when no one's in the stands. And then if you make them juggle or some skill that they're not practiced at, 
they're going to get worse at it with with that pressure until they become really good at the skill. Mm. So I guess the ant like this is a really long answer. That's good. Uh, but for me, sort of, I am not yet at the level. Like I'll talk to shooters that are more experienced, and like a, a few of them have sort of mentioned like I knew I was becoming a really good shooter when the pressure from a match made me shoot better, not worse. Mm. I'm not there yet. Unfortunately, I still shoot a little bit worse when, I mean, when I'm, sometimes a lot worse when I'm under pressure. So uh, the other part of it is improving my averages so that I, I have that ability to shoot a little bit worse and still hit my goal. And then also the exposure to the match. So the first time I went to President's 100, you know, it's the match already been like a four, three or four year goal. At this point, it's been a goal for almost eight years or something that I've really only been practicing. Like I started practicing hard for about four years ago. Um, so I went the first time and like, I knew I could shoot the scores I needed to. I'd done it before, but it wasn't a common thing I did. Like basically I needed to average like around 90 point, 85 to 90 points each stage of shooting. And I had done that, but that wasn't my average. And then I showed up and I was amazed at how much like my sight shook when I tried to shoot 50 yards with a pistol and did not shoot my average. I shot below my average. And then the next time I went, the scores I needed to hit were my averages. Like I averaged the scores I needed to do and I hit it for three of the four phases and then I got a little amped up and I rushed and I threw one shot off as a miss and I was, that was it. I was six points out of making the cut. So still got amped up, still shot a little below average. And so like, what is the hope that now I'm, let, I'm more calm because I've done it a few times and I shoot my averages. But the other thing is like, I want my average to be, you know, 94. So that when I shoot 5% below my average, I'm still hitting the range I need to. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it comes down to, to kind of two things like, one is being confident in the skill because that lowers the stress. Mm. And then the other part is um, being practiced enough that when you get amped up, you sort of revert to your training. Mm. Um, and so still, still, still trying to get there. Yeah. Um, the, uh, it's, not something that, it's not something that you're able to fake though. It's like the key for you has been increasing your just for your reps, your overall. It's not like you're implementing like breathing practices or. Yeah, so I'm doing some of that too. Okay, you are. Um, especially for the type. I mean, there's multiple types of shooting competition, um, and so I, I think there's. I mean, there's definitely mantras and breathing, and so like, I mean, this is a lot of long. Time. I could talk. I, I always worry because I talk a long time about shooting, but um, like when you bring your pistol, like you try to do everything the same, like, cause I, I can shoot a 10 one time and I can't another time. So it's like, you're really just trying to do the same thing over and over again. So, you know, you bring your, you do the same routine, take the same breaths, bring the gun up, break the trigger the same way, your grip's the same, you put it down. Um, there's like, I mean, as hokey as it may seem, like I read a book by an Olympic shooter and he talked about having like, you write down your goal or like your plan is if you've done it and you keep writing it down to you 
you do, it's like, I mean, the little statement I've got is like, I'm a President's 100 pistol shooter. I stay calm and focused while shooting. I focus on the front sight, I hold a steady sight picture and cleanly break the shot. When I shoot a 10, I say that's like me. So like, the other parts of it too is like, so when do you when do you say that like before every time before every, you shoot every time before I practice okay and so like at the start of a phase like so like you can't do it for every shot but like before the stage mm. you, you'd do it um, and but like the t like the other part too is like not focusing on your misses focusing on your like tens right so mm. like when I shoot a ten I say that's like me so I shoot a ten as like I try to say like okay I'm gonna do that exact same thing over again. If you shoot a five, you do try to analyze why you did it off, but like you don't forget, you try to forget about it in a lot of ways because if, like as you know from psychology, right? It's like if you think about what not to do, you're more likely to do it, right? So you really just want to think about what you want to do. Like I want to shoot a ten. I've shot tens before. Here's how I shot a ten. I'm going to replicate that. And so the. Um, the psych part of it is, is really big. Yeah. Uh, it's why I failed too. Like, I mean, I failed not because of my ability to shoot. I failed because I got a little amped up because I was so close to getting my goal. And like, I had 10 seconds to shoot and I used five of them. Mm. And like, it still eats me up. <laughs> but like, I was too amped up because I let it, I would like, it's the thoughts I had yeah. of like, I'm close, like, and I wasn't thinking like, specifically of what I needed to do, right. I was thinking about what I'd almost done, right? Right, and, and it sounds like you're thinking a lot about like, outcome and results versus just process. Yeah. Like, like there's two different types of self-talk, like one you mentioned would be like a motivational self-talk where you're saying, you know, like, I'm a great shooter or whatever kind of yeah. spill you went through there. And then there's like instructional self-talk where it's like, okay, you know, this is my breathing. This yeah. is like, this is what I do every time I shoot. And that can, that can go. And I talked about that a little bit with another podcast, but that can go into, you know, something like, uh, like the ACFT, like every time you perform a certain exercise, you're instructing yourself or you're motivating yourself in a certain way. And that, that forces you to focus more on the process of yeah. what's happening instead of, thinking oh if I if I shoot this or if I if I win like I used to do this in wrestling if I win this match then I can I'll probably wrestle that guy who I beat before and it's like all about like outcomes yeah. of like things that I have zero control over it's like okay well let's just bring in that's when it comes back to like you mentioned like with yoga like the, the mindfulness the meditation component it's like in yoga if you're not like especially with something like a balance exercise or a difficult stretch or a core exercise if you're not focused on that particular pose in the in the intricacies intricacies of it and in the moment then you'll probably are going to fail so you you bring your you train your brain to stay in that moment stay in the breathing of it and and that can correlate to a lot of different high pressure type of situations yeah. and like uh, you went through the same you know physical therapy school that i did when you're exposed to like orals or you're exposed to um practical exams and and a lot of high pressure tests and things like that and like, if you don't have certain strategies that you're implementing regularly then you're probably not going to make it through all that stuff it's amazing how like how smart you could be when the pressure's not on and then like you turn the pressure on and like can't think of the, the, the right answer that seems yeah. so simple. For me, it was when Dr. Greathouse called me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, 
so it, just sorry in my defense of my little statement, right? I agree with you that you don't want to be too process, too outcomes based. Yeah. So like some of that statement is like is outcomes based. Like when I shoot a town, I say that's like me. But in there, like the part where it's like I, I hold a steady sight, like I stay calm and focused. I hold a steady sight picture. I focus on the front. Like I'm trying to remind myself each time with that, like of the process mm -hmm. instead of just like I'm gonna go shoot a you know. A 400 out of 400 like right. that's the goal yeah. Um, so yeah I think it's with a lot of things I, I think it's good to have a little bit of both and, and a, as you're like alluded to like usually we're more successful if we have process-based goals right but like I think we're all also a little human and like we want to know what the, the like long-term reward of that process is so yeah. um, it you know, if you set the goal to run three days a week, that's how you accomplish it. But the, you know, the outcome-based goal is, you know, I run a 13, 32 mile or whatever. So yeah. it, it's good to have both, uh, both motivators in there. The, whichever mindset or goal-based book I, I read, like basically it was, hey, like you write that mantra down, like, like every time before you practice or every night before you go to bed, they're like, you'll either write it down till you accomplish the goal or you stop caring about the goal. Like you, you're either going to do it to you, like you either give up on the goal or you accomplish the goal. One of the two things happens. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. It makes me think of uh, of Tom Brady because like he's going to his freaking tenth Super Bowl. He's 45 or whatever he is, and and there's people that are in the prime of their athletic career that still aren't that aren't accomplishing things that he is at 45. And talk about like process or like obviously I think it's a combination of things, right? Because I think having all this success, like success reinforces more success. Like he wins a Super Bowl and now like he experiences all the joy of that and really wants to get back and get that feeling yeah. again. So there's that motivation, but then there's also, um, so that's his like ultimate goal. And I'm talking like I'm his best friend. Like I, but I'm just saying, like, I I've, heard, you are. Heard, I've heard him talk yeah, about this and like, you know, his, he has a TB12 method where, um, are you familiar with that at all? No. It's like basically, it's he, he uses a lot of like mobility and band work he doesn't do his like coach doesn't have him do a lot of like the typical like nfl strength training and and it's more of like a longevity and he's a quarterback so he can get away yeah. with some of that but also focusing very um very intensely on uh water intake and and specific nutrition and getting all the fruits and vegetables and then i don't know like all the diesel i know that he does not drink alcohol and like just just like witnessing the longevity of his career it's all in the success he's had it's all process oriented um and and i just thought that was like a relevant example to bring up um you know well, be, go I mean, ahead. yeah i mean one of the things that that makes me think about too is just like i mean longevity is some people's goals and it's probably the best goal right like i have too much of an ego to have longevity be my goal because i want to be you know the fastest oh i'm what i've learned here is i'll never be number one <laughs> like uh so we do challenges and i make the challenges and i still don't win them like i can i can get in the top 10 but i haven't won one yet and i've made them all or not, I haven't made them all. The coaches make them, but I, I have some influence in like, still like, I mean, I just say I want to be number one, I won't be number one, but I want to be competitive. Like that's, that's sort of like my why of like, why I train hard. Like mm -hmm. I want to be able to, you know, perform 
well in competition is still kind of my goal. Yeah. And and that is probably, I mean, it's ego driven. And that's what, what motivates me currently. And like at some point, like longevity should be the goal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if Tom Brady's goal was to deadlift more than the next guy, he would probably hurt his ability to win Super Bowls <laughs> because you get wrapped up in, in goals that don't matter to your overall goal. So I, I think it's important to like, like know what motivates people. And, and that's the, I mean, I see that here, right? So like, that's one of the reasons why we're, we kind of try to make like a more longevity based program for Rangers because from the platoons, I mean, Guys will hit it at a different point. Everyone, I mean, I may never hit it, or I may hit it at forty or fifty, or at some point in in life, you probably stop caring about being stronger than someone else, and you start caring about like feeling better, right? And being able to do like pick up kids and get up out of bed easily and do your job well. And so, like, honestly, longevity and and performance are probably the most you know, pure goals we could have. And if that's what motivates you, like, I admire that. Mm-hmm. And and there's a different program that you, like, that that person can follow where they're not trying to get a better one rep max anything. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to be able to not, like, feel good and do their job well. Right. Uh, and whether their job's being an NFL quarterback or being a Ranger, like, there's ways we can train to do those jobs better that don't necessarily mean we're better at running faster than the guys yeah. to your left and right or doing CrossFit better than someone else or deadlifting better than someone else. That's not to take away from the people that ego motivates them and they either want to they work out because they want to look better or they work out because they want to compete against someone. Yeah. I think for most people or you know, for a lot of people there's a combination of motivators, right? I think that the ego is a part of it, you know, who doesn't want to look better, you know, sure. <laughs> like, I, Absolutely. I, I don't know anyone who does, like, literally doesn't care at all about looking better, I think that's just part of who we are, unfortunately, um, but also, I think, like, you can also have the motivation of, I want to be able to, like you said, I want to be able to pick my grandkids up, I want to be able to not, you know, to be able to use the toilet when I'm 80 without having someone come wipe my ass, like, you know what I mean, like, these things, if, if we're really thinking longevity, at least for myself, that's the way I like. I think that a lot of people avoid like the type of training that we're talking about, and you don't necessarily always have to get into one rep maxes and really go like like Dr. Stuart McGill. He talks about um, about like avoiding the extremes. Like we don't like maybe the power lifter who's squatting a thousand pounds. Like at some point, the, the structures are going to give. You know, yeah. even if you're performing a perfect squat, that level of stress that you're repetitively pouring time performing time after time, it's probably going to catch up with you. Um, and then on the other side, if you're, you know, a yogi that's doing, you know, extreme back bends all day, and then that will probably eventually catch yeah. up to you as well. But then the, the, the worst alternative for me would just to be to stop training ever. Like I, I plan on literally training into my nineties if yeah. I'm still here, because that's, there's no reason not to like our body is able to withstand the stress that we put on it and um, I understand you know it's not as easy when you get old you have motor neuron cells your muscle cells die you you have less energy and testosterone and all these things but 
you're going to have even less of all those things if you stop training. So it's yeah. only going to get worse if you, if you stop. Um, but yeah, I think that we have a combination too of like these things that motivate us, but there's also has to be a combination of short-term goals with the long-term goals. And I think surrounding yourself with a, a great team of people like you have here, that that's a great motivator in itself. Just being around those other people is going to lift you up and want get you to push hard, whether that's ego driven or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. It's the fact that you've you've put yourself in this culture and are surrounding yourself with, with those type of people. Whereas, like I felt like that at Baylor, um, in not as much from I mean even from a physical sense, like there was some beasts in our class, but it was just like the academic abilities for these people is like were were above what I was able to to do. And I and that caused me to accomplish way more there academically than I ever would have if they weren't kind of the good team there that was kind of pushing me to do so. And so I think that like it's really important to take a look at who you have around you too. Like who's who's your your quote unquote team of people, whether that's in business or in the military or your your training environment, um, can make a huge impact on on your motivation level and and what your your standards of accomplishment are. Oh yeah, I mean, I, there's like the you know, the average of the five people you spend the most time around sort of deal. And like, I mean, if you like being the big fish in a little pond, don't come here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, probably, I'm used to being at most of the place I've been, you know, one of the fittest officers or uh, soldiers in the, you know, company battalion, uh, not the case here. And then same thing academically, like it's the the other medical staff we have here, like definitely sort of pushed me to be better, right? They like, we have pretty good debates about how evidence sort of supports things or doesn't. And, and it's like, I think it makes you better. Like, and some people clam up and that's, um, I think comes down to like the mindset of like now, um, you probably read Carol Dweck's book on my like I know um, Talia mentioned it in her book the oh, yeah. like growth mindset versus fixed mindset mm-hmm. so there, there's that idea that like if I'm ex- like if I'm tested and I come up short it shows that I'm not good enough and will never be good enough versus if I'm tested and I come up short it shows that like it's something I need to improve on. Mm. Um, way oversimplification of her, her book uh, Mindsets which I, I read back in school and would recommend but um, yeah I, I think if you have a growth mindset and you're around people better than you it, it'll make you better mm-hmm. um, and I think it, it's a hard thing about being here but that hard hardship is good and so you know if you want to I mean there's lots of places you can go but uh, sort of applying the regimen, like we do have a lot of fit, smart individuals here, and if you're for anyone in the army that's fit and smart and wants that challenge, like mm-hmm. sign up. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's good. I think there's a like at least when I was out here for because of another part of my internship was out here with Major Naylor, and I think a common thing I saw was there was the people that enlisted here because they were seeking something like that, like they like they were it's not like it was their only option. Like there were successful authors or they had these whole other careers that they had before coming here. And, and I think that a lot of people, um, you know, that are kind of at the top of their game are able to realize this or it's like, okay, a lot of people envision like 
happiness or whatever or perfect life is just like having so much money they don't have to work and they can go do whatever they want and that usually doesn't look like doing something like this and like training your ass off every day and being in, in this tough environment that like you described it as a hardship and I, I would agree but like sometimes I think those are the most rewarding things that we can do is like putting ourselves in these difficult situations like if if life was just all about you know getting to the top of the mountain and staying there like like or to like there's so much depression that happens when people retire when they, they've been working their whole lives in a job they didn't like to save up yeah. all this money for their old age and they sit around at home playing bingo or whatever and then kind of kind of going off on a tangent here but i like the the main point of what i'm saying is i think that it the hardship should be sought after like oh, yeah forever like in growth is what like what makes me feel alive and wanting to continue to um you know to seek new adventure and in, in, in new things and it's never it's always uncomfortable it's never really easy but it, it's it's where like where it's at yeah basically. so this is like kind of one of the quotes I live my life by, but I don't have the quote down right, which is sort of a problem, but uh, I've tweaked it to sort of fit my meaning. Like, it's like, I, I'm very goal driven. Like, like that's kind of what makes me happy. Like how you know, you're saying like, you go through hardship to accomplish a goal and that gives you reward. Uh, but like the butchered version of the quote that I always also remind myself is, every goal is the illusion will someday be able to rest. Mm. So, like, any of that hardship that you go through and accomplish the goal, like, it makes you happy, but only temporarily. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, it, yeah. then, then it's, like, the next, it's, like, I, I have physical goals, right? And it's, like, mm-hmm. okay, I want to be able to, you know, bench 300. Uh, bench 300, either that's good enough and I don't care anymore, or I want to bench 315. And, like... Now it's not good enough. Or, yeah. you know, President's 100 has been a goal for, like I said, almost eight years. When I get it, I assume I'm going to be really happy for a while. <laughs> but What's after, next? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of that. And, like, you know, you can still have pride in having accomplished it, but it's not, like, not going to give you constant joy. Right. And that's where I, I would say we don't have to wait till that goal is achieved to experience the happiness. Like, the, some of the, the joy for me is in the process. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're out there training for, for a ruck with, you know, to, to prove ruck time with, with your best friend or whatever it is, like, there's some joy that can be had in that and, like, suffering together and going through that process. And, and but that was brought about because that joy is brought about because of not only putting yourself in that situation but but giving yourself the or having the mindset of of seeing the fun in it or like yeah. the, like the positive side of it so i probably could be better about being positive right <laughs> like, but i mean the evidence there's like you get dopamine when you think when you you believe you are making progress towards your goal mm. right like that that real, like that's one of the key things that like releases dopamine. So like what presence hunter is the goal. When I go out and practice and I shoot well, I'm really happy because I feel like I'm. I mean, to me, I, I, it feels like progress. I'm mm-hmm. I'm closer to my goal. When I go out and shoot crappy, <laughs> I don't feel very happy. Yeah. Uh, 
I maybe could tweak my mindset, like, hey, it was good practice. I'm still making progress to my goal. But, uh, I mean, yeah, same thing with rucking. And, and that's how, like, the workout, individual workouts can still make me a little happy working towards the goal. And also how it, it keeps you motivated. So I have a, a list of physical goals, right? And so, like, doing a 600 on the ACFT was one of them. And that kept me at least for me on the days I wasn't motivated that was my why of why I'm doing like that I need to max the push-ups so I need to do the push-ups today mm. and same thing like for some other goals like there's ones that have burpees and rowing in it and so like when I go to row and I'm not having fun it's like well if I push harder here I'm closer to my goal mm. and that that's sort of the the yeah, one thing that, that Joe brought up uh, on the last podcast that I thought was really valuable that I haven't thought about in a long time is like people like me and you, maybe a little bit more cerebral, like in our heads a lot, like like everything we do may be some level of goal oriented, even if it's like if it's like healthy goals, and, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to do things because you want to improve your relationships or, or improve your physical performance, whatever it is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be like that. But he talked about the importance of just doing things to do them and like the play. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I feel like I hadn't heard that concept in a while, and just like being like in the next day, I went on, I went on a trail run point defiance with the dog, and, and I just didn't try to run a good time or anything. I just did it, and and it, and, it, and I didn't yeah I didn't even have my watch on, and it was just like liberating to, to go through that and maybe you have times like that with your your son or whatever where there's not like a there's not trying to like and like I'll like I'll get that like I hang out with the dog having fun but it's like okay now I need to train and I need to do something yeah. to train him a certain way and there's, like, there's got to be a goal there's something to accomplish and and then it, it comes back to that mindfulness component and, and seeking seeking that like freedom from thinking <laughs> like it's I think it's a really healthy thing yeah, yeah. But. Yeah, I, I, that's why, I, like, I'm slow to come around to things and get bit, right? Like, I mean, what, you're like 25 or 26? 29. You're 29? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not that much behind you, I guess. <laughs> but, I mean, you start doing yoga and, and thinking about mindfulness at least a year, if not two years ago, right? Like, I've been, yeah, I've been doing yeah. yoga for like like 10 or 11 years. Okay, yeah. so you're you're a decade ahead of me on seeing the benefits of that sort of stuff. So it took me into, you know, 30s to start being like, okay, sitting here and yeah. And well, that's just because I was a stress case and I had to figure out ways to, to unwind. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's been good. I, I think that with all these things, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's not something that I still struggle with. You know, it's something that has to be continually worked on every day. And that's why I say that so much. And people who listen to this, especially all episodes, like are probably really sick of me saying it, but like it, it has to be something that you work for every day. There are times in life for breaks and then there's like, I try and take one day a week where I, I'm off the phone and I'm just letting myself rest um and i think that's important too but those other six days like i'm i'm working my butt off to to become a better version of myself through incorporating a lot of these things we talked about and i know that you, know, you, you have kind of the same type of personality so been great catching up and i think this is the long one of the longest ones i've done yet so 
Yeah, I'm a talker, I guess. Yeah. But I, I mean, I appreciate it. I think it's really cool you did this. Mm-hmm. Listen to a lot of your podcasts once you told me you're doing mm-hmm. Like, sounds very professional. So <laughs> hopefully this one's good. Like, never thought I had the voice for radio. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's great that you're doing it. I think we've had a lot of cool information put out. And um, hopefully you keep growing it. Awesome. Appreciate it. Maybe we'll do it again someday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, everyone. Thanks for listening. All right, everyone. Just have one more quick ask before you go. Uh, if you got something out of or you just enjoyed this week's episode, it'd really mean a lot if you could take the time to either subscribe, review, or share this podcast with your family, friends, fellow servicemen and women, uh, whoever you think you know might be able to benefit from it. Uh, my goal is, it really is to reach as many people as possible and, and to hopefully help them find better health and wellness. So if you could uh, you can take the time to do this, it would really mean a lot. Uh, thanks, everyone. I hope you have a great rest of your day.